Rachel? Yes, Andy. Sam? Yes, Andy. What's the best thing you ever saw? <laughs> We're back. Cue jingle. Cue jingle. <laughs> you got a jingle you would like us to insert. Share it with bestthingpod at gmail.com. The jingle will already be in here. <laughs> like that confidence. <laughs> already done, basically. In my head, it's already done. Okay. So we're back uh, with a new pod, Best Thing I Ever Saw, inspired by Best Thing I Ever Ate, obviously, the classic Food Network show, and also inspired by our mutual love of movies. I'm Rachel. That's I'm Andy. And I'm Sam. And the first thing we're going to do is talk about our respective journeys in the genre we have for this pod which is rom-coms and sam why don't you begin with your genre journey youngest first hold on hold on genre journey what this is like if sibling rivalry (laughs) and here comes the pod had a baby (laughs) that's true that's true well, uh, it'll come to no surprise to uh, sibling rivalry listeners that uh, I haven't repaired for any of the specific subjects. So, um, my genre journey. I'd probably say that my first rom-com I can remember watching was probably You've Got Mail, which will become important later in the episode. Um, and I think it really shaped how I think about rom-coms and what I think a rom-com needs to be. Uh, for instance, I mean, this kind of goes into the later categories, but an, a well-balanced rom-com in terms of each party's backstory and friend circles and things like that, I think are really important. And I think that's because of my early kind of Nora Ephron um exposure or right, fraud exposure is the name of my band <laughs> um, the name of my rash i don't know what else what else should i talk about i don't know i'll i'll do mine and maybe you could hop on sam because we have similar we do you'll um, remind me locations of our journeys um for me, rom-coms were the first like grown-up movies I was really allowed and encouraged to watch with like chutzpah. Um, so like in terms of sort of PG-13 or whatever, I was not, action movies were not really that accessible. The kind of way out of kids' movies was rom-coms. Um, so probably when I started to be like, embarrassingly enough, like 10, um, I would watch something like You've Got Mail uh, or uh, that was a big one. That was like the, one of the earliest ones. I remember getting that at the video store. Um, but also like Miss Congeniality. And this was also the time that like things like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days was coming out. And like the first adult movies I was like pretty guaranteed to be allowed to see in a theater was a PG-13 rom-com and like wanted to see in a theater. Um, a lot of the other stuff I was like, uh, would I even like that? Would I even get that? But like a solid, you know, Kate Hudson, PG-13 rom-com, I was pretty confident that 
that would be, I'd be able to see that. So for me, rom-coms were, are, were like my YA lit of like a transition phase into being a more adult movie watcher. And I think that I didn't, I don't think I started going to rom-coms in the theaters until much later than you both in I terms go of like mom. year. I think most of my initial exposure to rom-coms was like watching bits of it while you guys were watching it, but not yeah. having been there. Cause I, I probably wouldn't have suggested it at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would just like, I'd walk in the room and I'd watch. You'd walk in the room and be like, what, this isn't Lord of the Rings? Got mail. Yeah. This isn't Lord of the Rings. What the fuck? <laughs> Um, is there swearing on this podcast? Is there swearing? I think there are. <laughs> there is. We have the. Uh, we have the. Uh, and so I remember, and I've probably seen parts of a lot of these, but I. It's come to to listening to what listening and watching for this podcast has really been my first time watching a lot of these all the way through because. I did enjoy them. I just hadn't seeked out a lot of the new ones that I hadn't already seen. But You've Got Mail was probably the first rom-com I ever saw all the way through. Um, Andy, what about your journey? My genre journey? <laughs> your genre journey. Well, here's an or, interesting question. Does uh, Father of the Bride count as a rom-com? No. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Well, I think if it does, it would only be because the patron saint, Nancy Myers, is... Well, I guess she didn't direct that, but she she wrote it or produced it. I mean, it's very... Whether whether or not she directed it, it's a very Nancy Myers-y movie. But this goes back, you know, like most uh, most kids, you come of age, you see your first movie in the theater at two years old. <laughs> and uh, you never look back. So maybe... You couldn't say that Father of the Bride is the first romantic comedy I ever saw, but it's you know it's in that tradition. It's the the lifestyle porn that I'm sure we'll talk about later. The you know the Brentwood houses and the massive beautiful kitchens and the champagne and everything is very bright and white and and peppy. Um, but I did speaking of Nora Ephron, I'm a little bit older than you guys. Uh, I saw Sleepless in Seattle in the theater, summer of '93, if you can believe it or not. He was um, five. I was, I was five. Yeah, uh, it was a big. Uh, that was insane. It was a big. It was a big summer movie year. Listeners, think of the five-year-olds you know, and then imagine that taking them to Sleepless in Seattle in a theater. I mean, there was a five-year-old in it. I can that makes sense at least no, a little bit. No, he was five. He was like ten. Oh, he was He's so small. They went, so they they had to fire the original actor. Uh, he was the original actor. I think was it's fun anecdote time. Yeah, fun anecdote. Uh, they had to <laughs> they had to fire fun him. He wasn't working marks. out. <laughs> but the yeah, the original actor was eight, and I think the replacement that's ultimately in the movie is around maybe eleven years old. But anyways, doesn't hold the candle to five. Uh, Mother had me in tow to see that uh, romantic comedy, and you don't look back. I was so blessed to be a, a part of the movie-going audience at a time where, where we have Nancy Myers and, and Nora Ephron and uh, I guess Christopher Col- or Chris Columbus, uh, the 
third rom-com I think I saw in the theater was Nine Months, where, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, there's a scene in which two praying mantises are in bed and one of them devours the other one because there's this running gag throughout the movie that uh, someone keeps reminding Hugh Grant that uh, after praying mantises have sex, the female eats the male. (laughs) So all good stuff. So did you see you've got mail in theaters? You know, I didn't see you got mail until a year or two ago. That was one for whatever reason really just escaped my repertoire. That was as some people, as some people may remember, uh, that was competing (laughs) for, for, for box office space with, uh, with there's something about Mary, which was, Uh, I see. um, You were allowed to see that in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater, but I think he's fucking old. I was too. He was like 10. That was a weird time for because that was so. This was the same year. Was this the same year as Mulan? I saw that in the theater. Because Mulan was, it was ninety. I think it was ninety four, right? Well, Mulan is ninety eight. Is oh wait, what's the is, same year? You got mail ninety eight. You got mail. No, Mulan is ninety eight. You've got mail is ninety. Oh, it is ninety eight. Ninety eight. So this was. You know, I was getting a little old at, at this time. I was transitioning out of, you know, my mommy taking me to the new Disney movie and I'm seeing romantic comedies with, uh, with my mom. So I was, you know, I would have been too old or I would, I would have thought of myself as too old to be, you know, caught dead seeing a movie like You've Got Mail with my mom and seeing a Disney movie like Mulan with my mom. But, but yeah, a little young for uh, seeing There's Something About Mary. I, I Saw there's something about Mary for the first time on on VHS in the comfort of my own home. You were probably still like eleven. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Had to watch that masturbation scene next to my father. Fun. That was yeah, it's a good time. Noise. Noise. And my journey really ends with that. It goes, you know, it starts with nancy myers and it ends haven't with, watched one since <laughs> and it, and it's, and it, start, it ends with uh ejaculate <laughs> and cameron diaz's hair everybody so i have a question for you it's like the beard that. it's like ejaculate in the beard oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there you go about your genre journeys so My are you someone who seeks out a movie of this genre like if something's coming out don't know when. And, don't know where. <laughs> if something's coming out, you know it's a rom-com, and you maybe don't know that much about it, but you know it's a rom-com. Does that is that a plus for you that makes you more likely to want to see it? I would say yes. I I don't know if I'd go to a theater every time to see a rom-com. It really depends on if I like the people in it. It is something. If there is a Netflix rom-com that comes yes. out, it is quite likely for me to see it. So that's kind of a lower level of of um of required energy but for instance a good i think i very much trusted that long shot would be good based Mm -hmm. on the people who are in it but i i embarrassingly now did not see it in theaters i wish i had um and but i didn't and like something that's coming out now like the like the photograph with is that Issa Rae and... Yes, Keith Stanfield. Like Keith Stanfield. Oh. No, no, you're thinking no. of 
you're thinking of like the kind of movie that got moved to netflix yeah um i'd probably most rom-coms i don't have also it's because i don't have a specific or i don't think there's as much of a need to see a rom-com in a theater so therefore i'm much more willing to just wait until it comes out afterwards but i do seek out rom-coms i think that's definitely true just the level of seeking might be a little less than other genres yeah i would say it's probably actually one of my most sought after genres which behind musicals hey i seek rom-com <laughs> yeah i think we're this will i mean we'll no doubt end up repeating ourselves a lot but this is for me you know it's the quintessential you can drop everything and put the movie on and and watch it hopefully it's a tight 90 minutes um Toit. It's the, oh yeah. <laughs> and it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much the ultimate in comfort yeah. movie viewing. I agree. Except when they're bad, which we'll get to I'd later. say even when they're bad. One of these movies put me in a terrible mood for the rest of the day. Did you watch the snuff version? I don't, I'd, I'm curious. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, let's talk. I think that, I think we did a great job with the journey, guys. The, um, the journey it, or the it, it, journey? It was a journey. Depending on how you pronounce it. It, it. The whole thing was a journey. It's been a journey. <laughs> um, and so now we get into defining terms. If you have a defining terms jingle you would like to hear <laughs> on the best thing I ever saw, you're, send it to you're best making, thing pod. You're making me so much work cutting this shit gmail. out. gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> so this is... Um, so we are... Like, what is a romantic comedy? This is important for both sort of understanding um, so understanding the edges and the boundaries of what we considered rom-coms and what we considered not rom-coms. Um, so the AFI, American Film Institute, defines romantic comedy as a genre in which the development of a romance leads to comic situations. That's- what a death. <laughs> that's by no means my favorite definition here's some things i feel like a romantic comedy has by definition some kind of sparkly snappy dialogue like the the exchanges need to be somewhat heightened that is something that separates it from i'd say uh romance with jokes is this kind of like rat-a-tat dialogue it's gotta have a, a sprinkling of aaron sorkin if you will Exactly. There's got to be like a aspirational dialogue, I would say. Similarly, there has to be some sort of aspirational heightened reality to it. Um, You know, the apartments need to be nicer than they should be. I think that that's actually like a part of this, that there's this aspiring escapism of rom-coms of like, you know, it's aspirational and possibly impossible that in a like from a relationship standpoint but i think in a good rom-com that aspiration or in any rom-com like trickles down to the way people talk and their jobs and like what their apartments look like and all that stuff i think that there has to be a happy ending in a rom-com by definition that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to end up together but it does have to be a happy ending um and then they... I have a question. I have a question. Yes. And this, and this is kind of a personal thing. Is the nature of the term romantic comedy is 
the comedy is the forefront of the word. It's it romantic is a modifier for comedy. Okay. Which part is more important? The romantic part. The romantic part. That's mm-hmm. kind of the if the romance is not good, if it's not believable, then the whole movie falls apart. Whereas the if the comedy kind of either it doesn't age well or is not as good, but the chemistry is still good, I think that movie still holds up. Which means I- the term romantic comedy could almost be switched. I think that the, like, I don't know. I don't even think it's that important that they're actually that, like, funny. Yeah, I don't think any movie, or I'll, I'll say I agree with Sam for sure. I don't think any movie on this list um, is particularly funny. If we were doing an episode about the funniest movies or best comedies, I don't think there's a single one. I'll argue that really with that. Comes. I'll argue with you with that later. Okay. I I'll think send you a, a bouquet of sharpened pencils. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I'll stab I think you through a, the heart with them. That's not what I was talking about. <laughs> I think there's a difference between a fun movie and a funny movie. I think romantic comedies are fun. I do not necessarily think that they need to be funny. fun. So they're for for me or the way that I understand it is the comedy aspect grows out of the screwball comedy tradition. Yes. This idea of uh, either class conflict, sometimes it's a little watered down and you, you, you substitute class conflict for um, just like gender conflict, men are from Mars, women are from Venus type stuff, and it gets a little underthought in my opinion, but I think this is one of the purest, most consummately Hollywood genres, the you know, the underpinnings of which are the same as the industry itself. It's this progressive era idea of being against all odds, urban aesthetic. I know we don't really use the term melting pot anymore, but it's, you know, it's got that, you know, for me, a romantic comedy, it's set in a big city. It's, I mean, we're going to find that our lists aren't aren't very diverse in terms of, you know, race, race and ethnicity, but there's some type of screwball element. It's, you know, rich versus poor or, um, you know, some type of religion versus some other, you know, not religious or something like that. And I don't know. I love that sort of um, push and pull nature of yeah. it, I guess. And I think in some of these rom-coms that ends up being sort of like reduced into like worldview or something like that. You know, people who see the world one way versus people who see the world a different way. People with this job versus people with that job. But yeah, that push-pull I think is causes both most of, I think, the tension of the movie, but also the comedy of the movie. Anything to add, Sam? I don't think so. So we talked about I would say if we're trying to define the edges for those of you who might say like, this is, we're going to talk about the list later of the movies that we will be discussing. This is very tantric with the list. Um, I know. I know. It's, it's I'm afraid to say it because I've already gotten people yelling at me for it. So, no. So some things just weren't qualified because we did not part of the genre. Um, it says my internet. Uh, the, so, for instance, the romans have relatively ba- balanced, and characters have to have personalities and motivations. So, this would be, I would say, a key difference between what I would consider a straight comedy with a romance in it, where typically it's like, so 
you know, Girls Trip is not a rom-com because the sort of antic figure, the, the men who are sexual objects, it's not balanced between them. It's they don't both have motivations and all that stuff. Um, it's more of a straight comedy with romance in it. And then rom-com also value escape over realism. Um, and the reality is extremely heightened. So that's different from like romance movies and like romantic genres. So while like Call Me By Your Name has like lots of lovely, funny moments, um, it's not a rom-com because it's like, it's trying to show something real. And rom-coms are trying to do that. Oh, we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. Is that everything for the DT genre? <laughs> Define the terms. DTTs? Uh, yeah, I think so. Sam's favorite. Sam, you've been waiting Have so been long waiting? for this next part. Justify my list? What's justifying my list? Justify my list. <laughs> We don't need uh, that. There's, there's the uh, the jingle. We don't even need one. Yeah, we don't need. I don't need. I could have Dylan put a beat under that. We're golden. (laughs) Okay. So remind me again how this is different from Statman Returns or Statman (laughs) Begins. Statman Carruthers. (laughs) We're sharing the list. I'm giving the stats, and this is just like this is like the don't at me. How did you guys? How did you guys make the list? Because I'm I'm putting myself out of this to a so the list extent. the list is very conspicuously post well so it starts with Annie Hall this sort of modern concept aesthetic conception of the romantic comedy so it's everything it starts with Annie Hall and everything anything going forward so you know there are it talked about the screwball comedy and early Hollywood none of those movies are on the list maybe they'll appear in a future episode and that's why they're off the list. Tune in to find out. Um, <laughs> hey, pre-code. That, you know, some, you know, some people would start the list. I think at eighty-nine with when Harry met Sally, and that being the I might have the mo- the modern conceptualization of it. But um, I think it's in you're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. But I think it's important to to lightly and delicately acknowledge some important aspects of Annie Hall. And yeah, I agree. And then, yeah. Yeah, it's also not not just not even just for rom coms is an interesting movie to watch in a lot of modern comedy, uh, especially television. But we can get that to that later. I agree, and I think from like a patter perspective, um, it's it's interesting to see like um, that movie sort of become a bridge between you know uh, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, Clark Gable or whoever movie with the patter into Annie Hall into what we would like the sort of rat-a-tat dialogue. I think that, I think that you need that as a link. Should we just, should I just go through and name the movies we did or do yeah. we want to just do that as part of the, uh, Statman? I think let's just, yeah, let's, let's phase this into Statman Carruthers now. Dylan insert Batman theme. <laughs> <laughs> So Rachel, Sam, and I watched 13 romantic comedies, a flirty baker's dozen, if you will. 
little cinematic taste test to determine once and for all what the best thing we ever saw is. So we watched Annie Hall about last night. Moonstruck, these are in order. When Harry Met Sally, Pretty Woman, Four Weddings and a Funeral, You've Got Mail, The Holiday, Knocked Up, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Trainwreck, The Big Sick, and Long Shot. Uh, collectively, our movies were nominated for uh, around 15 Oscars. Not a very awarded, acknowledged uh, genre, it turns out, uh, for the Academy. Only two movies on the list especially, won. Especially as as it got as time went as on time, as time went on yeah less and less acknowledged which is interesting i, I think know, it's I mean, a factor of like the solidification of the genre as, exactly yeah, as I agree. for women yeah yeah you know so only two movies on the list have won oscars the most nominated movie was moonstruck in 1987 uh, but annie hall is the winningest, winning four Oscars, winning Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Diane Keaton, and Best Original Screenplay. A couple of years or a decade later, Moonstruck wins for uh, Share Best Actress, Olympia Dukakis, Ulala, Best Supporting <laughs> Actress, and uh, Best Original Screenplay. Uh, after that, it's the real desert. You got Nora Ephron's nominated for Original Screenplay for Harry Met Sally. Uh, very... Uh, justifiably, Julia Roberts nominated for Best Actress in 90 for Pretty Woman. Richard Curtis gets a screenwriting nomination for Four Weddings, and then the film is nominated for Best Picture. And then jump forward about 13 years, and uh, Kumail Nanjiani is nominated for Original Kumail Screenplay. Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. I only didn't say it because I couldn't remember her name in the moment. Um, <laughs> are, are nominated in, in 17 for for the big six screenplay. Yeah, I think my theory is that this is like, you know, there weren't a lot of bad rom-coms yet when these things were still getting nominated with relative frequency. At once this became a more solid genre and there were more bad examples of it. And it became sort of denigrated as the chiclet of movies. It was a lot harder for anything in the genre to make you know what I mean? To make it up there. Yeah, notably, no romantic comedy has won an Oscar in any of our lifetimes. Yeah, that's wild, I think. Yeah. AFI's got a big heart on for Annie Hall. Shocker. F uh, four of these movies appear on AFI lists. Um, Annie Hall is the only one on the AFI 100 movies list. It's 35 on the updated list of uh, 100 best movies of all time. They released a, the most recent AFI. Uh, we can kind of talk about the legitimacy of it. They haven't released anything since 08. In 08, they, they released 10 top 10s that were genre-based, and one of those 10 is romantic comedy. And on that list, Annie Hall is number two. Moonstruck is number eight. When Harry Met Sally is number six. And... What's number one? Yeah, what's number one? City Lights. It's a 1931 Charlie Chaplin movie. Oh, uh, I see. Pre-code. Pre-code. Wonderful, pre wonderful stat, man. <laughs> that was great. That was actually very, very... So, 
So Dylan, insert Batman Begins and credit theme. To sort of <laughs> link back around to justify my list, justify my list, um, and I guess make a new category called Don't At Me. Uh, is there anything that we are anticipating people will be angry about that we want to justify now? I would say if we're thinking like big, um, genre defining, aesthetic defining, uh, movies that we glaringly omitted. We talked a little bit yesterday, you and I, Rachel, about my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. Uh, notably, I believe still to this day, the highest grossing romantic comedy of all time. Seems like a weird movie to omit. I saw it once 20 years ago. We've seen it so many times. Oh my God, we've seen it so many times. Yeah. I don't know, John. I have have John Corbett thoughts. (laughs) Um, New category. (laughs) What's your John Corbett thoughts? I think he's terrible at everything he's in. (laughs) Oh, he's so good in To All the Boys I've Loved Before, though. Okay, sure. My other thing that I, when you said that, I said, like, oh, yeah, look at you. Get it, Playtone. And then I thought, is that thing you do a rom-com? And I don't think it is. Ooh. I don't think so either. I don't think that romance... Well... No, the romance is not central enough. I I agree. But I did have a moment of like, <gasps> oh, my God, did we miss it? Because that's... The chemistry, mind. though, is so good. It almost gets in there. Yeah, I know. But Liv Tyler, it's not, it's not equal. Like, she doesn't have a backstory. Like, I have no idea what her deal is. So... No. Um, we didn't include Sleepless. Also, yeah, sleepless. completely, completely for a lot of people. Two, two steps off the conversation. Has have you guys seen the video of the, the, the cast of the movie that specifically the band getting together? <gasps> it's on oh, YouTube. No. The no. lead singer guy. Oh yeah, he's got like John this amazing guy? salt and pepper going in his beard. Ooh. He has aged incredibly. I highly recommend you seeking that out. Um, okay, I'm gonna do that. Thank back, you. Back to the uh, to the actual podcast. I think oh, that in the don't at me's, I say that there's gonna be a lot of sleepless in Seattle and Notting Hill pushback. Yeah, I got Notting Hill already. Uh, I'm Notting Hill right now. <laughs> I just don't think it's a contender. Yeah, I think that was so basically because. And this is how I understood it because we are going, each of us, it's slightly subjective how this list will play out in terms of each of us are going to pick our favorite. And if there was maybe another one, the genre that we liked better, or in this case, I mean, Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral aren't really, it's not like they're the same director. It's not like Nancy Myers or, or Nora Ephron, but I mean, we have one Hugh Grant movie and I think, Four Weddings and a Funeral was a little more formative and earlier, so that's kind of why we made that decision, right? Yeah. A lot better. I'm having a bit of, I think that we might get some like Bridget Jones pushback, because that actually did get nominated for Oscars, because um, it was naughty. Uh, so I think that there's, there's good points to be made about Bridget Jones, which I think is a franchise that was completely denigrated in sequels but if we could have bottled what people were thinking about it the year that it came out i think it would be on this list in a second 
but could, but the issue is i think and which is and to be honest similar to my issue with some of these movies that are actually on this list i think it's too one-sided uh in terms of how much attention attention it pays to either side of the romance okay um, that it's a great comedy but maybe not a great it's great comedy and there is good romance in it but i think one of the requirements for me in, in choosing a movie specific, especially was having a well-weighted and kind of you it almost feels like the movie is split in half and you're getting you're getting especially it's it comes up as you're getting different viewpoints from each side you're kind of hearing how each side is interpreting what is going on that is the basis for a lot of the comedy in a rom-com you know they're talking to their friends about what happened and if you if you don't know the other people's friends, then you can't get that. Andy, thoughts on Bridget what? Jones? I was gonna say regarding Notting Hill, perhaps a regretful omission given that I can't looking at this list, I can't think of a more archetypal female speech you know it's a very for better or for worse that's a her speech at the end of the movie is very um memorable and famous and you know one of the more you know it's kind of like on the mount rushmore of romantic comedy moments and there really isn't a lot of female representation on the list with respect to like that them being the headline of what you remember about the movie or why the movie's on the list um yeah so yeah the uh, one other thing would probably be uh one of the gripe that i've gotten already is that the holiday is our nancy myers choice um i think the other options within the genre it's complicated which is not so a I've never seen I've n I haven't seen most of these, so I can't say, but those were just the suggestions. I Holiday was literally only Nancy Myers movie I've seen before. I'd seen before this. Parent Trap. Uh, Parent Trap. That's true. That's not a yeah, Nancy Myers will get her due, Lord knows, but not in the set. Okay. Look, okay. Parent Trap is not a rom com, it's a heist movie. <laughs> <laughs> Stop jumping the gun, Andy. <laughs> oh my God. That's good stuff. And so I are you also, ready? No, I think I have one more. I think that we, in opening up Judd Apatow world, I think we like, I don't know. I say that the whole like, whether, I know that Knocked Up like is a rom-com, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is a rom-com. I would, s- we'll I don't talk. Know. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think we're going to be, Maybe in agreement on some of that stuff. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Despite my love for for getting Sarah Marshall. Okay. Are we uh, ready for categories? Yes. So we wanted to kind of do, before we revealed our actual picks, uh, we wanted to do a little more breakdown and kind of get into those categories and tropes that really make pull all these movies together um, and pick our favorites for each of those. And sometimes, sometimes those will be the ones that were our favorites. Other times they're just kind of outliers in a, what 
might not have been our favorite movie, but is our favorite of this category. So the categories we are going to go over um, are best best friends, best chemistry, worst chemistry, best Pinterest board, which is, as was explained to me today, kind of a combination of uh, realty, kind of the... uh, It's a lifestyle porn. Lifestyle, exactly. So you get dress, kind of location, um, apartments, houses, all that put together. the aspirational side of a rom-com. Sure. Uh, Best use of song, best bit part or cameo, most likely to stay together, most likely to break up, and another category that I'm not going to read. Um, <laughs> Wait, what was it? Most likely to direct Harry Potter 4. <laughs> That's not- I got Mike Newell for that one. <laughs> Is Christopher Columbus, isn't, didn't Christopher Columbus direct one of the first ones? He, he, he directed, directed the, the first, first two. two. And nine months. <laughs> so uh, let's start with, uh, let's start, we can actually start discussing the movies i know i'm excited uh and let's start with best best friends who are some contenders do we want to get through this i say that we should stake our claims before we make contenders and then we can stake our claims like say our say our numerous honorable mentions as contenders yeah i don't have honorable mentions okay yeah i don't you don't have honorable mentions i have honorable mentions i don't even know if i have a favorite yet oh my god i have two i have two people that came to go for it Day and Raphael in the long shot. Oh, so good. She is like the most memorable part of that whole movie. She's <laughs> the best part of the movie. She cuts through it. She, I know. She is like, mm, she's like a little bit of lemon on your like meaty meat dish. She is just like cuts through. She's gorgeous. And, and it's all, it's so much performance. Like it's not a particularly gorgeously written role. You get the sense that a lot of like a lot of the writing in that movie, and this is the point that Andy's brought up not to like steal it it feels kind of pieced together that like characters kind of evolved a lot over the course of the thing. So like from a writing perspective, she's not working with a plus material, but goddamn, she's so good. She's so good. And she, she trails the line. There are, there is the, I don't know if it's a trope, but the about last night friends who are trying or don't want them to be in the relationship, that kind of trope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She treads that line of, of, pushing against what you want and the movie wants you to want to happen without you disliking her, which can happen very easily. She chose that line so well. Um, Yeah. And she has fabulous chemistry with Seth Rogen as well. And watching them interact is such a joy. (laughs) And that's not something you get. Like there's usually so much put on, like couple rom-com chemistry so to see like side characters have chemistry with main people that are not even their like theoretical best friend it's it's so good and she is i think the best part of that movie overall she is a wonderful best friend and she's not just like a and i like that she's not a judy greer type um and when I say a Judy Greer type, I mean like a sort of just sort of dithering, like, but generally supportive best friend. She like has like real ambitions for Charlize Theron. Like, and I think that her like love for her is complex and really interesting. And yeah, she's really good. I I had this, I did for the most part, I did like 
best friends as in like the movie with where they both had good friends and oh. I actually this was listed because I do like O'Shea Jackson Jr. in this uh, yeah, he was my runner up he's very different um, but he brings so much comedy and kind of broad comedy to the movie and I think he's also just a, like a recognizable very positive supportive friend in the exact in an opposite but also valid way of Chundine Raphael's part. Yeah, I when he's talking that, about the LaCroix is the funniest part in that movie. The balance the balance between those two types of friends is is pretty unusual in rom coms, I think. Agreed. S- Sam, your case for Jim Belushi. <laughs> I would die first. You would die for him? I would die before <laughs> saying anything good about that. Yeah, I came close to uh putting O'Shea Jackson Jr. down for this. But ultimately, for me, he's just not in the movie enough. And Rachel touched on this a little bit. Longshot has a curious production history where it was, you know, it had a different name at one point. It had a very different scope and it was rewritten. It might have been rewritten wholesale following the election. And some of those themes show in watching the movie. And I think one of the most glaring parts of it um, on a hunch. You, I mean, who knows, I, who knows what I know, but um, one of the, I think one of the biggest uh, consequences of its production was that there, there must've been something left on the cutting room floor with his character. You know, you forget that he even existed um, for a massive chunk yeah, in the middle yeah. of that movie. Yeah. Uh, but my pick, actually I picked Paul Rudd from Knocked Up for I think mostly just the cultural impact. Um, rewatching the movie, uh, I don't know how well that character has aged. Not that it's like offensive by today's standards or anything like that, but um, this was Rudd on the cusp of an extremely hot streak coming off of anchorman and 40 year old virgin then he does this and then he basically starts you know getting his own headlining movies for a while and goddamn if every man in my relative age group has not been basing his like half comedic intonation on either paul rudd in this movie or steve (laughs) carell in the office um i don't know what they're doing i mean just the, the paul like the Talking like this, you know, where we're going, we don't need roads. Oh, kind of intimate. So like, that is every white man in his 30s. Uh, bread Thank and butter. God, for, I was born too late for that shit. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and I think it's kind of interesting, you know, looking at the text itself, it's kind of an interesting, not like turning it on its head, but um, how he's sort of like, the foil to Seth Rogen in some ways, kind of the straight man to Seth Rogen's like, he's a chubby pothead and Paul Rudd is like a straight laced dad and they both hate this. Um, that's kind of the stuff that doesn't I mean, age too well, but for, I the, for agree. the cultural impact, I yeah. my money's on Rudd. I agree that his performance is probably one of the, well, I don't know. I just don't know if that's, a, a very archetypal best friend. It's I mean, Knocked Up is weird because it's almost two separate movies. Right. And this yes. happens a fair amount. In, in Judd Apatow, Apatow movies. Apatow movies. 
obviously they're linked and they have a similar and depressing message, but um, his he his relationship to Seth Rogen's character is not even really a best it's a friend maybe but not a best friend they don't he's not very it's not like he's supporting he doesn't pay he's not paying that much attention to Seth Rogen and his relationship his part is really his relationship with his wife what's her name they go to Vegas yeah they do I go s- to Vegas I mean that that is a best friend scene but I just I don't see that as a even I don't even see that as a best friend I he he fills that role in that movie but that movie has breaks the rules in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of them. I disagree with the rule violation um, that Sam is, is citing here, the fault lines. Uh, I think that I agree with Andy that it's a great performance. Um, I think that it, I think it's sort of muffled and buried in some movie construction issues. So it doesn't rise to the fore as much as it should. You know, when you think about like how much you remember, you know, if Dave Chappelle in like, you know, you've got mail because the movie is constructed so tightly, you really like the little he does really highlights, but that whole Vegas scene is so buried in a generally kind of sloppy movie that like you, once you get to it, you're like, Oh my God, it's the scene with the Paul Rudd is sitting on the chairs. Like, I love when Paul Rudd is sitting on the chair. Yeah, no, I mean, that scene is so good. You just yeah. wish where the movie was like that. And uh, I, you, I, like, yeah. I don't know whether to fault it because the movie sort of constructs it, like almost eats its young in that way. Like the best part is sort of like, you know, doesn't, doesn't get the. Yeah, it doesn't even fit. Exactly. But I will also to like say like, I think the most heartwarming, like genuine emotion I feel during that movie is actually maybe 15 minutes before the end when Paul Rudd is like happily bringing out the birthday cake for his kid. Um, and it's just, it just seems like a lot more settled into fatherhood and it just reads on his face and he's like wearing the crown and he's just like doing it. And that feels a lot more real and um, authentic than like any of the stuff with like the birthing of the baby and all that stuff. But I love but that. Why? But that's real a, and authentic. I know that that's not like best friend stuff. But I'm just no, no, no. I'm just part. saying like the reason why that movie also feels weird because real and authentic is not what I'm looking for in a rom com. In that, but I guess what I'm that saying that is that that's works. the most real, authentic emotion I feel towards a character. <laughs> that's and, true. That's like, true. That's, I guess that's the most like satisfying resolution of the movie is like him at that little birthday party being cute. And I feel like that's not really best friend material, but it does. It is credit to him in that role. So I'm I'm still trying to decide between two of the movies for best the best 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 friends. The other one that I want to mention is when Harry met Sally for this category, yeah. um, and and it's partially the performances of the individual friends, but I also the way the symmetry works and the whole them doing a like uh, setting them each, setting each other's friends up and then the two friends ending up together and leaving the two alone. I think it's just a, such a great way to frame the whole thing and kind of it's another step in them trying to not be together, but it just blowing up in their faces. Um, and supportive best friends really had not been done in these movies, like well in these yeah, movies. They're, they they're both the- wanted them to be together and w- it was kind of the reversal of that role. And I think, those initial scenes, the one at the football game uh, between 
Jess and Billy Crystal's character is great. I think the kind of, and the movie does this so well when Harry met Sally of like, not only between the best friends and the main characters, but also between the main characters when they are best friends, this ease and the way they talk to each other is so natural. And I think it, it because the movie captures friend relationships so well, it is a huge benefit for those characters. Um, I mean, and like I, best friends as like pacing devices too are is very like so you know, they good. move the movie along so well, unlike um, the Judd Apatow movie. Yeah, and like the, this, some of my favorite scenes in the movie are like the batting cages scene, or the scenes where Carrie Fisher is like going through a Rolodex. I think the fact that those other scenes are also so good point to the importance of those best friend characters and like best friends as a concept might reach its height with Mary and Harry met Sally, which is why I would throw that into the, into the ring. Um, Neither of you is going Tony Roberts from Annie Hall. (laughs) (laughs) What I, I recognize his, he's almost, uh, who's the hell hell boy. I kept thinking he was what's his name, uh, Hellboy. Oh, Andy. you thought he was Ron Perlman. <laughs> I thought he was Ron Perlman. <laughs> I was like, I know this face, I know this voice, but it wasn't quite right. Hey, are you uh, the Hellboy? <laughs> <laughs> hey, quick question for you: Are you the Hellboy? Uh, no, I did not choose that. But anyway, so my long story short, mine long shot. It's between long shot and you've got and uh, sorry and pretty and when Harry met Sally for me, I also, in terms of, sounds like you're putting together the title of a Zucker brothers movie. there, Sam. <laughs> the long shot for uh, the pretty woman who got mail. <laughs> um, in terms of shout outs, I, and this is probably going to be true just cause it's, it's it holds a special place in my heart. I do love the, you've got male friends. Um, Dave Chappelle, despite his probably malleuse, is such a great, like, comedic, different tone, even though he's not fully himself. It's just still different than anything else in the movie. Uh, and the whole bookshop, I fucking love Steve Zahn. The so that's a huge. The bookshop feels like almost Richard Courtesy in its, like, texture and, like, multi generationality. And I love that, yeah. like, combination of. Of like and, like my two clash the clash of whatever yeah and the riff the kind of the way the bookshop talks to each other is really where the kind of riffy Sorkin-y conversation comes through almost the most you know yeah I would say honestly you've got mail the best friends when I think of the best friends in that it's the exes not the well yeah I had a separate separate competing relationships tab and the exes that's the most amazing possibly the best part of the movie but they're not competing relationships they function as best friends they function as like people in like they they kind of they move the plot along they play key support roles and they like allow the main characters to learn something about themselves in a positive way um like they never and you never get the sense that that's that that those relationships are in the way in any but but the fact that they don't truly know like the best friends and how they think about the actual relationship i think is important and 
by the nature of the movie, neither of the exes have any idea of what's going on. That's not true. So that they do, of- they don't know what's going on in the reality of it, but they do have opinions about what the character represents. That's true. So well, like, so like, you know, um, Kinnear hates everything that, you know, Meg Ryan represents and that's very, or not Meg Ryan, that Tom Hanks represents. And, but also like echoes a lot of Tom Hanks's like, you should be more of a fighter type stuff. So in a lot of ways, like, while they don't know about the individual people in the relationship, they do provide a sounding board to the sort of the ideas around the relationship. Yeah. I don't think, I just don't think they, com- they, they complete all the requirements in terms of like what, like the scenes where Dave Chappelle is like actually sees her at the cafe or when they're talking at the bookshop about how, the person she was going to meet could be the killer. Like, I think those are important, like actual, how these people view, how the friends view directly the the main character and their opposite are important. I think you kind of get a conglomerate. If you include the exes, you kind of get a conglomerate yeah. for best friends. I, I mean, I love, I love, I mean, Parker the Posey actors, now. Parker Posey and Greg Kinnear, like amazing. Um, and I mean, this is weirdly jumping around, but I think like the Greg Kinnear character of like a report, like it's kind of evergreen, his character of like a reporter who still wants to use a typewriter and kind of is angry at everything. Like, yeah, he was doing hipster Brooklyn when it was the hipster. It was amazing. Oh, and there's also the, the line where, (laughs) where the, the younger woman in the bookstore is like, she's so, incredibly pissed off that she might actually have to move to Brooklyn. That was a reverse did not. The woman well. for Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Um, the other shout out, and this might be too much, but the whole, like the whole gang of friends in for weddings and a funeral, Hugh Grant's friends is just a wonderful friend group. And that's really what pushes the movie along, but that doesn't really count for this category. Are they though? I enjoy them. That's one of the few things I enjoyed about the movie. Oh, okay. they're great. Yeah, that's one of the most. Or somebody here poo pooed authenticity. Sam did. Before. I, I got to remember. I think it was Sam. Um, but God, yeah, I love that part about, well, about that movie. Not that so... authenticity. It was just the fact that Rachel was talking about the depressing part where, where Paul Rudd is bringing out the birthday cake and like life happens to him. That's not, that's not romantic that's comedy for me. Anyway, yeah, I think his the his, the way that he captures that tone of this the sort of merry band of misfits going to the various weddings it, it just feels very true yeah. to life and yeah and believable and, and wholesome to me. Yeah, I would okay. love to collectively give them all best best friend. <laughs> oh my god, it's very best friend thing for you to do. Such a um, Andy. Can we? Should we move along? Yeah. Best chemistry. Okay. This wow. is a big one. This, this was kind of This was weirdly hard. I thought that I'd look at this and think that there was a home run and I didn't. But so, ultimately I came down. Can I say what I came down with? Uh, for sure. Julia Roberts and Richard Gere in Pretty Woman. Mm. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you why. Because they have to like 
Because I think it's a tough sell because you have to – like, you know, obviously they have chemistry. Like, he picks her up as a prostitute. But there's a certain – like, and you have to, because of that, like, their chemistry has to be maintained throughout the movie, but it also has to, like, deepen, Right. You have to believe that they're hot for each other, or at least he's hot for her for the whole movie, and he does, which is not that hard. I mean, she's Juliet Roberts. But they really, like, and those love scenes are hot. I'd say that they're hotter than any other love scene in any of these movies. Um, so that counts for something. Like, I, don't, I actually really don't want to see Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks have sex. No, that's no the key. It's it's no, I don't want to see that at all. And yet somehow I still want them to be together. I just I just I'll just step I, out for that part of it. But I think chemistry, like I think at least for me, that has to be part of it. Like I have to kind of want to see him bang. And, I don't know. I think that's true. And I don't want to see those people bang. And so I think it's like I think Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have great like patter, which goes into chemistry. But you also have to like like. You also have to believe that there's some sort of electric physical connection between them. And I feel like uh, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts do that best. So that's my, that's my nomination. It's, it's like 99% Julia Roberts though, right? I think yeah, that's, that's kind so of why well that would work for so me. Well. Yeah. No, he's very smoldery. And I, as the woman who is attracted to men in this, I say that I would disagree. He can hostily take me over any day. Yeah. Yeah. Also, let's be honest. You don't want to see Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have sex because they're too damn old <laughs> no, for that movie. Gross. No, no, shut up. Shut up. No. Shut up. I just, I think that I can believe they want to have sex without having, without wanting to watch it. And that just I'd rather watch Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton have sex. I, I just don't want to see Tom Hanks have sex. That's the bottom line of that. Um, and I think... For some reason, I'd rather see Billy Crystal have sex than Tom Hanks, which in, it initially oh. would not make sense. But I'm just going to say that right now, and I did. Um, but I don't think that like wanting to watch them have sex, and that's why the movie works. If the movie, if you've got male had a sex scene in it, the whole movie would be ruined. Uh, and I don't think that is a point notch against them chemistry-wise. It's just realizing what parts of their relationship you as an audience would want to see um i disagree i think that i think that i mean like i said i was very blunt and said i do i want to watch them have sex but that's just a proxy for physical chemistry and i think you can have that without you know a full-on like a full-blown Sexy. I don't know. I think the kiss works at the end, and that's just me. But I it's think the fine. Kiss works. I mean, like, okay, cool. Like, I could kiss a frog to that song, and like, with like, you know, a camera panning up from like, you know, the West, whatever park, and it would work. I don't think that's true. Um, I'll give you something else to talk about. Okay. You don't know my pick? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying it's- to be clever. I truly think this is my pick. Oh my god! What? Oh no! Get ready for oh some no. B-side bullshit. Oh no! No! What? I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Um. So I went with Jude Law and his daughters. Wait, 
Oh. Okay. Which I, I, I don't think there's a more charming, heartwarming, you know, I don't know, insert superlative here, okay. male performance on this list of movies. I think Jude Law is, oh my goodness. Oh my God. I, think, yeah. I do find that I, the most attractive any man he, has ever been to me. Is yeah. When he's, oh my God. Such, such PQ. I, yeah. Sam knows what I mean. And I, I mean, that coupled with the, I don't know, I guess you'd call it a twist, but it's just, oh my goodness. I just, I just melt. I can't, I don't know what else oh, yeah. to say. And I, they're so I, charming and they're so like the, those two uh, child actresses are so, they do it so well. And it's, oh. I also yeah. think that that works on a different way for Tom Hanks and his aunt and uncle, his grand, great aunt and uncle. Anyway, I, oh, yeah. I, I think that when the men are really good with the kids, it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> this is such a funny role reversal where i'm like do i want to see a bang and you guys are like but dad's in there not i I was expecting the worst from from andy what did you think i was gonna say i I wasn't expecting to be bad i just expected like about last night or some bullshit i don't know um oh my god they're hot um he is. Uh, she's hot. Se- can we talk about sex? If we want to talk about sex scenes, can we talk about about last night? Okay. Yeah, that was <laughs> wild. No, I don't. I don't. I don't find. I, I think like is a picture. Uh, Rob Lowe is attractive, but he's so not smooth. Like he's so robotic that it just doesn't work for me on a chemistry. Web. Demi Moore, I mean, all of it. She's the voice. I, it's it's insane. Um, but. I, I don't find the sex scenes that hot because of Rob Lowe, even though he is attractive. I just, you know, I don't think he's good with kids. And that's, that's the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, Andy, I really could see. I mean, yeah. Single greatest chemistry factory on this list is certainly Jude Law. Jude Law is the chemist. He is. He's the chemist. Because he also has great chemistry with Cameron Diaz. Sort I think of. so. The, in the, in the movie, that, that was talk, better. It was. I better. want to watch them look at each other. Yeah, that was, but because his fucking eyes. Oh my god, um, that's so beautiful. I, Andy, I that's a, a good pick. I had a tough time with this category. Um, I, I think in terms of relatively speaking, because in my opinion, Seth Rogen and Katherine Heigl have negative chemistry. Yeah, I think that's the obvious answer for worst. Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron feel like they have more chemistry than they actually do just because of those two relatives. I think I'm surprised at how much chemistry they have. Yeah, I think it gets like points for perceived difficulty, but I don't know. Exactly. I don't think it's top, but I wanted to mention that. Um, This kind of goes into another require, not requirement, but bonus for chemistry and just kind of like rom-coms in general for me i think if the guy or if if the relationship shouldn't work and yet you still want them to be together and yet they still have chemistry i think that's like an important part of rom-com and for like so for instance for you've got mail he's a fucking asshole he puts her out of business he lies to her and yet somehow you still want them to be together and i think that's like tom hanks's charmingness and 
oddly enough, I mean, and I do think they have chemistry, despite what you said, Rachel. Um, Pretty Woman was also uh, one of my top ones. I wasn't sure. I put When Harry Met Sally on here, but I'm not sure anymore. I I think the the issue is I love the part of the movie when they are just friends and they have committed to that part and they are talking over the phone before going to sleep. I think that's when they have the best chemistry, which almost is points against them for the romantic part of it. But I still I think it's I, a very well done love scene for that type of movie, actually. So I, Yeah, that's true. I mean, I love I love how the love scene works in the movie and what happens afterwards. But I just don't know if it causes me to believe that they have a bunch of chemistry. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'd pick. Are you going to just go with Andy's pick? Uh, no, I won't. Um, I'm there. There's part of me that might end up going with yours, Rachel. Yeah. It's so good, you guys. But I. And even though I, I, I do think that that Julia Roberts is doing more of the work, I think the fact that Richard Gere is doing less is very important. As, for, as the movie is concerned and as the relationship is concerned, I think she's letting her shine and him kind of ducking out of the way and just like staring at her a lot. Especially at the beginning, it's very creepy. Those first scenes, especially the first sex scene. I mean, I think we talked about this before. The fact that there's zero music and there's I Love Lucy going on in the background is meant to completely de-romanticize it. I think as a way of like accenting the fact that she's a sex worker and also that they're not kissing, which means it can't be romantic. Um, but then, and then, and then... I watched it for the first time a couple weeks ago and I was watching it and I was like, Oh shit, is this going to be the whole movie? Uh, and then I realized, Oh wait, she's going to have the, the big scene and the big, like the, they've been having sex this whole time, but they're not like making love until they kiss. And then when they kiss the piano music come in oh and the God. saxophone comes in and so it rolls onto you. Um, so maybe I am going with Pretty Woman. And just the way he looks at her. Oh, my God. It's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. No, it's not. Like, at the when, like, she, I don't know. Like, in the opera scene. I mean, how many times? Oh, no, no. Opera scene, opera scene is work. No, but the very beginning when he's just watching her as she comes up. And I mean, I guess. I don't no, know but like, when, when like, his true affection for her, like, by the end, the way he looks at her, the way he looks at the opera. Oh, my. I could die. I could melt. Oh, it's so good. I think it's. I'm an, I'm not good at choosing favorites, so I think it might be a tie between when Harry met Sally and and Pretty Woman for me. I think that the audience is going to like Andy's pick best, though. Oh, well, that's what he was aiming for. Oh, jeez. Okay, worst chemistry. I have two things. I have, one, that, one I feel really guilty about saying. I have four. God, so no, bad. I have three. I have three. Jeez, Louise. Andy, you go first. Okay, I this was this was hard for me. Maybe in in the in similar ways that it, the previous category was hard for Sam. I just don't want to be this mean, but and we touched on it earlier. So mine, I have I've got Seth Rogen and Catherine Heigl, 
in Knocked Up. And it's mostly because of the writing. It's just I, so I completely not, agree. It's so not a two-hander. And exactly. There's she's just, no just there's nothing for her to do. I mean, so quickly you're left to think like, oh, I get it. She's supposed to suck. And that's yeah. about it. And they're fighting the whole time. Like they both suck. That's the thing. Yeah. Like and there's no patter between No, there's that. no patter. Yeah. yeah. It's just and I think I I don't know if they could have chemistry in a different movie, but the way the movie is set out and the writing and the script and it's just it's impossible. I will say this. It is very there there is a very substantive subtlety to the impact of her helping him in her pajamas find the like timestamp the nudity scenes. Yes. In like it's like a montage or something like that, and she's she's pointing out the boobs and bush. Yeah, and I that's, like that. That, part. that goes a really. He's doing a lot with a little bit right there. I think Apatow is, and I, I yeah, I, I no, like that. But and there needed to be more of that though, in order for it to be believable right. that they yeah. were chemistry and that they should end up together. That you were rooting for them to end up together, rather than just raising this kid apart. It's also she has such an interesting job. It would be cool to see him give her advice and talk to her about her job. Like you know what I mean? If there's push pull there, anyway. Yeah, I, I that that was definitely that might be my worst but it was definitely one of my top three it probably is my worst did you have others andy or is that your one i think that's it for me um yeah that's all i got rachel i have two. Oh, right you, you really set this up you've got this is you're gonna blow a hole right in the middle of this uh one is really experience. obvious like one is like i don't feel bad about saying at all and it's Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell. Oh, so bad. Um, and and this is her fault. Like this completely. Is their fault. He could have he could have chemistry with a fucking a shoe. I mean, I, I actually, I um, well, yeah, no, I agree. Actually, I I think that his chemistry factoriness is a little overrated. Um, I think the only person he's had great chemistry with is. Our only people are Sandra Bullock and Julia Roberts, and they are both chemistry factories. They're both very good. Um, so anyway, I think he's. I think his chemistry, whatever, is a little overrated. She. This is both their faults. This. He needs to be able to look at her and like. You need to have all the feelings, and you just don't. And she needs to be able to seem deserving of that, and she just isn't. So this is their fault. That's why I did not pick knocked up because knocked up is i get the sense the writing's fault and this is their fault and it the movie in my opinion is so much worse for it so that's like my true answer but my other answer to be real real and this is where i'm gonna be a bad person and people are not gonna like me for saying this is kumail Nanjiani and zoe kazan have like really not great chemistry and I know it's like mm. not her fault that she's dead for half the movie, but for that reason, they need to have better chemistry. Like, it just seems like, like that scene where she's like whooping and hollering at him in the club. Like, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, Ed, the delivery is weird there. I get the sense that he loves her a lot because there's like a lot of obviously like real authenticness in the writing, but like, I just watching them together does nothing. 
for me. So interestingly, so I've been listening a lot to Camille Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon's podcast that they've been putting out just for the, as the like quarantine has started. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have agreed with you before this, but having listened to them actually talk together and their chemistry, chemistry it's amazing. It's so aspirational and it doesn't quite make it into the movie because I think Zoe Kazan is really a different person. She's much cooler than Emily V. Gordon is, I think, in general, and, and, and has much more confidence in the sense I get. Not, and not maybe, I think Emily V. Gordon is a very confident person, but she's maybe a little more reserved yeah, than Zoe Kassan is. I needed someone who was like a little bit more like hot to trot. Like, I don't want this like manic pixie, like B minus. That Zoe Kazan. <laughs> I like Zoe Kazan. I think they're both yeah, good I individuals. I, like I just too. don't think they have great chemistry. And that might be the, and that might just be the fact that, I mean, like, Camille Nanjiani doesn't have a huge amount of acting experience and he's acting out his relationship with his wife in a certain way. And it might just have been hard, you know, to, I, I, to be able to get that chemistry. I, I, I'm not at all angry about with you with this answer. I think, okay. I also don't think that that's really like this movie. I love, I really love this movie. It's a weird rom-com if it is a rom-com and so much of the movie is about him and his relationship with her parents. They have the chemistry. They have great chemistry, which is why I feel like this is Zoe Kazan's fault because I actually don't think you could put it on Kumail being like an amateur because he really holds his own and like is able to maintain chemistry with Ray Romano and Holly Hunter and they're like big heavy hitters. I think a lot of this is Zoe Kazan's fault. Uh, but I mean, I, this this is like a reverse pretty woman to me. I think this is like, I think Kumail's so good in this movie. It's like 99% him and 1% her. You know, Zoe Kazan had to walk so Kumail could really run in this uh, in this movie. I, I'll, I'll say... There's not much to her character. And a lot of it is is washed out by how good Kumail is. I, we talk about heightened, uh, the importance of heightened reality and like, you, you know, you could never live in an apartment like that bullshit. There's no way Billy Crystal can, you know, find and afford that apartment in, uh, when Harry met Sally. But I think there's this weird paradox with rom-coms where because we can all still aspire to fall in love and be in love and have our heart broken. There's something, you know, there's, there's this desire for authenticity in it that is mixed in with the heightened reality. And I don't think there's a more, or one of the most authentic moments in any of these movies to me is when he's showing her that schlocky movie and he's so excited and he's so delicate with it that he's worried about her seeing the spoilers for the movie in the DVD menu screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that, that is scene, so real. If there is a chemistry, <laughs> if there is a chemistry scene that. in that movie, that's it. Because <laughs> I think that. she's also doing well in that scene. Yeah. Where she's yeah. like kind of making fun of him for it and like how many girls have you done this with? I think that works on a rom-com level, but I think yeah. most of the movie does not. I just Got bad in cages. lacking. I also have a great shout out. Yeah. I know that this is like the true story of their life, but I just love the irony of like, you know, like the classic like personality trait of a woman in one of these movies is that they're clumsy. And Mm -hmm. in that movie, her clumsiness is literally pathologized and becomes the entire. (laughs) 
It's a true story, I guess. Right? I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, great pause. Funny, and I know that it's not purposely <laughs> ironic. It's just it, it, it entertains me. Okay. I think it's definitely a romantic comedy. This is not to show my hand too much, but this is my top three. I I think it's wow. Um, I love the movie. It's yeah, just it's not, a great movie. I think definitely it it's doesn't work as much for me as a rom com. I think it's definitely a rom com. I just don't think it's a. I, I Great mean, chemistry movie. I, I think it is still a rom-com. I'm just, I think it's genre breaking parts of it make it that it doesn't fit into my top. Anyway. People say Sam. So Sam. People say Sam. What's the next question <laughs> or category? The next category <laughs> is best Pinterest board. Okay. I have two thoughts on this. I did not prepare for this as much. Oh, so this is going to be yeah. off a dome. Rachel, OTD. what's your thoughts? Okay. Um, if we're talking place of living, I actually say this is kind of a deep cut. But minus the coffee table, Bruno Kirby and um, – That's purely for you. Which I guess this category works. But that yeah, when I saw that apartment, I was like, that's fucking Rachel's dream. That's a great apartment. I love their house. I love their house that they built together. I love the books everywhere. Wainscotting. Oh my God. I love the wainscotting. It's amazing. Okay. So that's my new, that's like for location. Sure. But honestly, for like, just like general, I don't think any like Pinterest board can top the shopping scenes in Pretty Woman. Hmm. I think that like, that is the most aspirational Pinterest boardable sure thing sure. in a rom-com ever and, and her outfits in general yeah her yeah that was, her clothes second, the polka dot dress first, oh my god so the red great dress the opera, so, yeah, the opera dress it's wild obviously i think that when we think about these things it's easy to think of like nancy meyer's kitchens um and i i mean like the jude law's house or yeah or kate winslet's house i guess in that movie is pretty great but um that movie being the holiday but so I felt weird ultimately coming down on something that was clothes based as opposed to like home decor based. But yeah, it's, it's their apartment in when Harry met Sally is like my like, ha ha ha, very B side answer. Um, and then the clothes in pretty well. I'm sure you're not surprised to learn that that was not the apartment, the windows in Billy Crystal's apartment. Oh yeah. When they're putting on the rug, oh, that is my dream. Sam. Oh my god, that is that's completely aesthetic. my dream. Um, I don't care what's I. I could do anything else with that apartment, but those windows and how big they oh. are. Anyway, Andy, what are what are your thoughts? I had three swirling around in my head. I think ultimately it's just the laundry list of stuff. And when Harry met Sally, the apartments. I had this really immediate love affair with his Yankees shirt that he's wearing. Does that do anything for either of you? And I, first time I saw this movie, Mm -hmm. I tried so hard to, to replicate that in a, obviously not a Yankee shirt, but you know, a a team that I would have wanted a shirt like that. And Oh my gosh, I just, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, the, the tweed. Yeah. Meg Ryan is ever wearing. Oh yeah. Meg Ryan's outfits. His nautical sweaters. I mean, the list goes on. Oh, the speed walking Spanx. Oh, my God. Uh. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about, Sam? When he and Bruno Kirby are doing like the, like through Central Park, the the very. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Walking and they've got their tights on. 
Carrie Fisher's wedding dress in that movie is one of the best wedding dresses of an 80s movie. Like, it mm. holds up really well. Yeah, yeah. It's very, like, lovely bodice, big sleeves, nice, like, deep boat neck. It's and really there cool. were some bad wedding dresses in this movie. Or just in no, movies. No, sorry, in, this, in these movies. In these, yeah. in some of the other, this era of this list. Yeah, or just of all, yeah, anyway. But like you, Rachel, I, I was very close to just saying anything Julia Roberts is, is wearing in Pretty Woman. Yeah. We'll stop for this. And then my honorable mention uh, is just Hugh Grant's hair in <laughs> the Four Weddings. You and Kamel Nanjiani. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, has gets it. he gets hair. it. He has great hair. He, he really does. Yeah. And he's not afraid to run his hands through it. That's, that's the real confidence is the constant touching that, that shows bravado. Yeah. But, <laughs> I uh, yeah i mean i think it is between pretty women and when harry met sally um i obviously the, the 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 shopping scene puts it at the forefront but i think if you for the, if sometimes you ignore meg ryan's hair and when harry met sally the rest her her outfits are absolutely amazing the oversized jackets and his sweaters i overall i might say when Harry Met Sally just because it's a more complete picture. Um, there's nothing I love. I don't especially love any of the rooms. I mean <laughs> the conference room at the end of Pretty Woman, what they're working in, is pretty hilarious and dated. Yeah, the hotel room is not And the hotel room is not great. I think the fact that when Harry Met Sally is a little more rounded in its Pinterest board, it's not just a bunch of dresses. Um, and its Pinterest board also includes food. Which also not- true, yeah. Every movie does. So next, actually, we're going to take a short break because I got to pee like a racehorse. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Andy, you want to riff? Dylan, <laughs> I can cut, oh, I'm gonna, I'm I can cut this out too. if necessarily. Dylan, insert bathroom break song. Jackety Sax goes here. <laughs> the next category is best use of song and i don't know if it's gonna matter but i think in our discussions for this category we did not do like best outside song like you can do a song that was made in the movie or or for the movie um yeah who wants to go first i have two kind of two i have i have a lot marked on my sheet but we don't have to talk about talk about all of them it's funny that some of them pop up multiple times yeah um okay so i'll i'll say my my first one is the story with a fringe on top bit and harry met sally yeah sure. i just love the way he's standing it's so cute yeah he's committed they're both committed. honestly one of the more attractive one of the times I find him the most attractive in the movie. So, mm. yeah, which that is says a, a lot about you. Which is, well, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's which is tough because as Andy and I have discussed, like his likability in the movie is a problem. But when he like that, like him starting so confidently, like feeling good, feeling himself, feeling himself to sorry with a fringe on top and sharper image. Yeah. Um, and then like watching that devolve is, I think, a very important thing in the movie. Um, 
I think it's just like cute that they both know the words to that. I guess like Oklahoma. Well, it's written like down. Yeah, they have them on the. I know, but, but I think like, at but a they certain both point can they forget. Sing it. It's yeah. like so cute. I mean, Oklahoma like was like one of the best like selling like Broadway albums of all time. So maybe for that generation. But anyway, my other one that's a little bit less obvious is I love the interplay between the two Billy Joel songs in Trainwreck. Mm. That's I, a good pick. Mm. I thank you, honey. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so. Obviously, Uptown Girl is like um, kind of made fun of and then reclaimed in that movie. First, when he, um, when uh, Bill Hader's character uses it to like, you know, get in the groove and it's kind of supposed to show like a little bit like how he's corny and stuff and like likes basic stuff. And part, it's not really that written. Um, kind of like a lot of that movie it's a little underdeveloped a little a little undercooked yeah but one of sort of amy schumer's sort of like almost hipstery disdain of anything too basic and mainstream is something that's kind of woven a little bit through the movie um and like her just sort of cynicism and so then to have her obviously like do uptown girl at the end with the with you know the cheerleaders yeah yeah um it's so good and then even the the i think i love you when she like sort of like makes the heart and then like can't hold herself together anymore that's so sweet Mm. and then the uh matter of trust in the um in the credits is such a great song and that actually is kind of like a b-side billy joel song that like not everyone knows and it that you know and that kind of it's just interesting the way the movie works all that billy joel into it in such a fun way um and i think it like plays all the characters really well so that's like my real answer i think Hmm. i went super simple with mine i'm gonna sound very basic maybe um i mean for my money it's the couple walking through new york and preferably an autumn scene (laughs) with some type of croonery song going so harry connick jr it had to be you and when Harry met Sally. And I guess yeah. runner up, but a distant runner up is um what is it? It feels like it seems like old times. It seems like old times, Diane Keaton singing in uh Annie Hall. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good two scene. very similar vibes, but I think a little perfected in a, Didn't she also sing it had to be when you was another one of her songs? That's what she's saying. I thought I wrote that down. Ah, the spreadsheet failed you, young one. <laughs> or you guys failed the fact that you don't have spreadsheets. Um, my, I really, there was a couple of music uses that I liked in Longshot. I mean, I love the boys to men. It's so hard to say goodbye throughout the boner story. And the, it must have been love. The fact that it was used in both that and also, as I learned later, is a callback to its use in Pretty Woman. Yeah, that's that um, was that was one of my second things that I was going to I do. really enjoyed that. You, I enjoyed it before I knew that in Longshot, and I appreciated it even more. It's such a weird song. It makes sense where they use it in Pretty Woman, and yet its use as kind of a for, in a formative relationship moment uh for them is kind of weird but i i kind of like that kind of weirdness um sam was right about it had to be you diane keaton does sing it yes 
uh, spreadsheet for the win. Um, uh, I mean, just a shout out to I Like It Raw is, at the beginning of Knocked Up is just pretty on the nose and funny. Um, I mean, you've got mail, the cranberries. It'll get me every time. I love that. Wait, which song is that? You have to be a little bit more descriptive. Dreams, I think, by the Cranberries when New York is waking up. I that's that scene is it's uh, I love that scene. And the sign seal delivered is incredibly on the nose by the by Stevie Wonder at towards the end. Um Yeah. Pretty woman. I mean, pretty woman. <laughs> uh, but I think I think it would be. I think I like the referential way in which Longshot Longshot uses "It Must Have Been Love" um, in the dance scene when they're in Argentina. Um, that might be my top one. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with what Andy's saying with the Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's probably the best soundtrack. Yeah. But it kind of, it, because it blends in, that might have been why I didn't think of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I still sort of maintain my Billy Joel credit. That's perfectly valid. Uh, Any more thoughts on, on songs? Uh, to circle back to something you said, interestingly, Dreams was a big uh, point of contention for Nora Ephron. Oh, really? She wanted something kind of more, um, you know, what you'd expect, kind of that Harry Connick Jr. Uh, mm. classical crooner tone. But the, her editor, some, someone involved in the production was like, no, 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 we should, it would be great if we did Dreams. And it got so far as she told the editor to, to edit the scene to Dreams and then said, yeah, we're do it, but there's no way we're using Dreams. <laughs> and lo and behold. That's what they did. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's it, it. It's hard to extricate what is really good about "You've Got Mail" and what I have just it, what I have intricately put into it. And I think that's probably one of the areas, which is why I didn't want to give it first spot. But I had to mention it just because, like, that song and that scene and that kind of montage is like as New York for me as it gets. Like them just opening up all those the gates well yeah and like the stupid voiceover where he basically makes like the most basic starbucks joke of all time and like oh god yeah um so yeah um next category is best bit part and i'm gonna do slash cameo and i think they might be a little bit different i just Uh, saw this as like one step like the next rung down from best friend in terms of supporting. Yeah. I don't think I saw this right, but anyway, go ahead. I mean, I, I thought of this as people who are in these movies for a second who might not even, it might not be a cameo at the time, but it has turned into a cameo. I mean like Chris Messina being the person at the bookstore in you've got mail. He's like the person who's helping the customer out and Meg Ryan is like crying and telling him who the actual author is. She's asking about that's Christmas Cena. Oh my God. Um, this is way deeper than I went with this. Um, I, was like, I need the shoe books. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got the shoe books. Yeah. Or like the weird, the fact that, so I watched the holiday. I hadn't seen it in a long time and 
I'm watching it, and the first one of the first scenes is John Krasinski and oh, um, yeah. Al or Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn as uh, Cameron Diaz's assistants, and I'm like, oh shit, they're gonna be in this movie. Like no, I forgot not. about that, and it's like, no, 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 no. If this movie was today, they would have to be, but they're just like in there for literally two minutes. Um, those are some honorable mentions. I mean, Mr. Bean in Four Weddings and a Funeral mm. is. Yeah. Ah, it is so good. Um, His name is Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> Can you describe what? Do you s- describe what he does in Four Weddings and a Funeral? So he could be a little bit more. I mean, so he does Mr. Bean. <laughs> he does Mr. Bean, but it's not quite Mr. Bean. But yeah, I literally gosh. could not. It's the most uncomfortable I was at any point in watching these movies. He's bucking everything up as he's trying to marry these two people he can't he every single sentence he has is something there's something wrong in it they're being so nice and kind of working him through it but he is it's not even he's that nervous it, it he kind of is but it is just he's babbling it's amazing um it's mr bean and uh it, he every time he's on the screen i laugh no matter what he's doing so there's that. Uh, I mean, Paul Rudd in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's on my that list. That was, yeah, crossed my mind. so good. Very much on my list. Um, I mean, also in that are Jason Bateman and Billy Baldwin in the respective fake oh, TV shows shit. are also great. I love those oh. little clips. It's <laughs> um, so funny because I was going to say Marissa Tomei and um, oh, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe in Trainwreck. <laughs> also, yeah, those, that's, that movie is amazing. Um, <laughs> David Allen Greer as the cocaine snorting comedy club owner in The Big Sick. Andy Serkis as uh, oh, yeah, Fox, as News Fox News surrogate guy. owner. And I I loved Bob Odenkirk as the president Chambers. I think the kind of like very meta switching from TV to movies thing works really well. Like, cause that's Bob Odenkirk and, uh, also, kind of. Claudia Doherty is like the aggrieved mm. Fox News female. Fox friends, yes. Yeah. Oh, so good. Ironically, in the role that Charlize Theron would basically later yeah, play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as the angry Fox News lady. Um, yeah, she's so good in that. I mean, there's the, I mean, if we really get into weeds, there's the actress from Grey's Anatomy who's the Zabar, Zabar's oh, cashier. Yeah. And you've got Sarah now. Ramirez. Kelly Torres. Uh, I think Christopher Walken in Annie Hall counts as well. Uh, that scene is absolutely <laughs> wild, uh, especially with the dri- him them driving in the car afterwards, and you get Woody Allen's face. Um, oh, and Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum, who's literally for five seconds. Oh yeah, five seconds. That. He looks so good in that movie, you guys. He looks really nice in that movie. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how i it kind of ranged from cameos that weren't cameos at the time to actual cameos i mean you have like the uh true cameo is something like dustin hoffman as himself in the video store in the holiday um the i can't go anywhere part um but you have like the bit parts that are kind of like very over the top like andy circus or bob odenkirk um i think because of how much he encapsulates what I laugh at the most in the movie, Paul Rudd and Forgetting Sir Marshall might be my top. Because it's 
his part is so funny. He has the best lines in that movie. So funny. Yeah, I'll go off of that because I think he ended up being my numero uno. I didn't really go as deep. I thought a bit part. I think I was overly generous with the definition of basically was like fifth or lower billing, maybe <laughs> fourth or lower billing. Um, essentially best supporting actor that is not the best friend. I just think it's such a crime that Jonah Hill gets the spinoff of that movie and not Paul Rudd. I think that that's so wrong because Jonah Hill's performance is fine. It's certainly doing what, a lot. What would a Paul Rudd movie be? Who cares? I just think that it's wrong. I just think that there's something that's morally and ethically wrong about that. Spiritually, you could say in a way he does in the form of I love you, man. Oh my God, he totally... Sort of, but he's playing a different... He's playing the straight-laced one. Oh, absolutely. That's what. But in terms of from an industry perspective you know that's the far superior movie a much bigger and better role (laughs) hold on hold on get him to the greek let's not let's not completely denigrate that get him to the greek andy that's a sam that's a bad movie that's that's a bad movie funny movie the oh only God, time I, I saw it, I had the stomach flu, and I don't remember <laughs> much of it because I kept getting up to throw up. But maybe <laughs> it wasn't the stomach flu. <laughs> um, I love you. That's a great movie. Uh, oh my God! I mean, the, the weather, I the weather outside wrong, is way. weather. Gets me every time. <laughs> weather outside is weather. <laughs> Paul, I think Paul Rudd is the winner of this. Um, He's the winner of everything, God damn it! I also, I, okay, so I'm worried that we're not going to talk about some key people that are not bit parts but are not best friends. Are we really going to get through this whole thing without talking about LeBron James? And are we really going to get it through this whole thing without talking about Colin Quinn? I think you're safe, Rachel, because I, I, I sounds like I interpreted this category similar no, to how you LeBron did. James I might have done there. this. It just wasn't. He wasn't one of my best. I might have done this a little wrong myself, but uh, okay. So sorry, take and then it my, away. but my one other like my uh, one other one that I want to do a shout out is um, it's not like Sam's definition of someone who's going like OTT, but um, Hector uh, Elizondo as Barney Thompson, oh, the um, yeah, the concierge at the hotel in Pretty Woman, mm, so good, is so good, <laughs> and like sort of a la what I was saying about. Um, like Paul Rudd in Knocked Up, like so many of his just like looks and sort of like looks of approval beats in the movie are some of the most like emotionally resonant with me. Like I really love him in that movie and I he's doing so much with what could be so little. And he has a hard part. Yeah. Because it can't be creepy and it could no. so easily be creepy. He's so good in it. So I just want to like shout out to him. Yeah. Shout out Hector Alzando. He, yeah, I just love the way he looks at her in a non-creepy way and just really believes in her. I just love that. I mean, the father, another pretty woman thing, the father from 10 Things I Hate About You as the shop, as the owner of the shop during the shopping spree. Oh my God. These are the kind of things I think future about up. all the time, so. Yeah, future up. Don't, don't get, don't get. Teen comedies. Uh, I, I'm so excited for that. That's good, yeah, that's one of my most. We should do it. Uh, it should be like the June one. Oh <gasps> yeah! When school's out, school's out. So May is heists, June 
Wow, I mean, comedies. I guess yeah, we will. Ha- I will have enough time to watch all of these <laughs> up until the end of June ish. Um, okay, so Andy, why don't you do yours? I want to know yours. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a theme here. My pick really reflects the sort of subtle intimacy that I appreciate about the the movies I appreciate the most from these or from this list. So I hope that I am as raw and loving and understanding and, and positive in all of my human interactions as uh, Harold Ramis is oh my to God. Uh, Seth Rogen as, as his father in Knocked <laughs> Up. I, Amazing. I, I, I don't know if you call it a bit part, but oh my gosh, he is so fucking good in that I love, part just I the love way just the so unconditional much. love and the he's like no what are you talking about it's a it's a blessing and i die I just love you so much who, you know who cares don't worry about it it's, oh everything's God. gonna be fine i love what like a dad goals this podcast is dad goals right, yeah <laughs> dad porn it's really i mean the raw it's forget lifestyle porn it's really about dad porn. somewhere in between jude law and Harold Ramis, yeah. that's the sweet spot. <laughs> oh my God, that's where Andy's gonna be. I love it. But just, oh yeah, it's just, just he's like, oh. I didn't think ben, about that. That's you. a great yeah. one. That's such yeah. a great one, Andy. And they're at a Jewish deli. I know. Another great bit role in a rom com. I mean, in a similar, different, but because I didn't think about it this way, like just characters, I don't, I don't that I don't know whether we'll talk about. Olympia Dukakis in Moonstruck. Oh my god! I don't think I'm sure it's been said other places, but like, I don't love that movie to be honest. And we might get into that later, depending on how, what, <laughs> where this goes. But she is so good, and she's understated in a movie that is can be over the top sometimes. I think we did not talk about her and John Mahoney for best chemistry, and I think that that's oh, a fault of ours. That is a fault. That was that. We should have mentioned a that. Shout out. Yeah. They have great chemistry. Oh, I, I've remembered. I don't think I said it. I did technically have a runner-up for that, too. I would say, um, sorry to derail us, um, Hugh Grant's brother and the woman who like falls head over heels in love for him. It's great chemistry. Oh, and four yeah. weddings. Yes. Also true. Like the Oh yeah. The second wedding or something. Wait, which one's his brother? Oh, no, the, the deaf one. Right? His oh, brother. Yeah. The deaf brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, there's not a lot of it. it. No, they're good, though. They are good. No, I agree. No, I mean, yeah, the, the Dukakis, scene, I think that might be Dukakis. my favorite. <laughs> that my favorite scene is the Olympia Dukakis and John Mahoney scene in the whole movie. Oh my God, they're like electric, and yes, I would want to see them have sex. Completely. They have so much sexual tension. It is wild. Um, Something I cannot say for Cher and Nicolas Cage, but you know, it is what it is. She's um, great. I mean, both actresses are fantastic in that movie. Yes, yes. Um, uh, are we good with bit parts? Uh, yeah. Are we though? Did, in- well, did you want to talk to? You didn't really talk about LeBron James. He's so good in that movie. It is wild. It's one of the best athlete performances ever and one that's just like never talked about or acknowledged it seems like we're living in a universe where to everyone else it never happened no and to me it's like 
it's it's my sun and my sky and <laughs> and it, it's a combination of his acting and it's also so well written not necessarily the lines are well written but the part is conceived well like the him being stingy and it's just mm. such a good recurring bit and he does it so well and his kind of interrogation of her at the sidelines is also done so well and his kind of like he just he also he also wins because he comes off as such a great person from that movie yeah Ugh. He's so you can't tell is that rachel or wh out down there why you just sound a little bit like that poem. It's my sun, my sky, like my north, my south, my east, and my west. <laughs> my west. <laughs> my west. Yeah, he... Diane West, also another episode. <laughs> he is quite something. Also from that movie that Pete Davidson is the high knee patient. Oh, what that scene is so weird. So weird. What the hell is he doing in that movie? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I think it ages badly just because it makes little less and less sense why he's in that movie as time goes on. Um, and that's the end of the first half of our rom-coms. Best thing I ever saw. Uh, if you like that, listen to the second half. And uh, also thanks to Dylan Stratton for our theme music and Leah Sardarian for our logo and art. Stay tuned.